This show is brought to you by Nice Mug. Nice Mug is the only mug made entirely out of ice. For more information, go to nicemug.com and enter the coupon code SAUNA for 10% off your entire purchase. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, this is Glenn, and welcome to another episode of Sauna Talk. And I would like to uh, uh, welcome Vladimir von Tsurikov. He's the director of the Russian Museum of Art in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Vladimir has brought with him a passion for the advancement of Russian art and culture and a strong record of international collaboration. Over the last 10 years, he co-organized and co-curated several exhibitions with Russian institutions in Moscow, St. Petersburg, and Yekaterinburg. Vladimir has published numerous articles and presented dozens of lectures both in the U.S. and Russia. In addition to releasing two research volumes, he has edited five volumes of a scholarly series, quote, Readings in Russian Religious Culture, unquote. And he continues to serve on a number of editorial boards. Vladimir also serves on the boards of the Russian Historical Society in the U.S. and the Russian Nobility Association in America. Vladimir received his Ph.D. in Russian history from the Moscow Theological Academy in 2011 and an M.A. in Russian Language and Literature in the year 2000 from Middlebury College in Middlebury, Vermont. Our interview took place in the sauna at the Hewing Hotel, downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. The Hewing Hotel's top floor setup features a brand new rooftop sauna, a very generously sized hot room space with transom windows overlooking the downtown skyline. We have easy access, just steps outside the hot room, to the outdoor rooftop patio where there is also a hot tub and fresh air chill out zone. The Hewing Hotel rooftop also offers separate men's and women's facilities, each equipped with showers, bathrooms, lockers. We also have a Nordic Vibe spacious bar and patio area, offering signature drinks from local vendors including Tattersall Distilling, a micro distillery based down the elevator and a short bike ride away. John Peterson made this event happen. You may know of John as founder of the 612 Sauna Society, the first cooperatively owned sauna organization in the United States. John is also partner of Sauna Society Builders, which is the organization hired by the Hewing Hotel to host community and cultural gatherings. And this is what we did on a recent Friday night in Minneapolis. As others were swirling down their beer and cocktails at the neighboring bars and restaurants in Minneapolis, we were a group of folks enjoying a healthy sauna experience while learning more from Vladimir about the parallels of sauna, Finnish sauna, and Russian banya. In this episode of Sauna Talk, you will get an understanding of Vladimir von Surikov's deep love and appreciation of the banya experience. Habanya is a social and community gathering place, as much as it is a wonderful wellness practice enjoyed by many ethnic communities in Russia and neighboring areas. 
This episode will be especially interesting for those of us who enjoy learning about the authentic sauna experience as it relates to its offshoots and parallels with other cultures, in this case, specifically the Russian banya. So without further chatter, I am pleased to welcome Vladimir von Surikov to Sauna Talk. Well, yeah, this is, that's right. Well, the, uh, welcome everybody to Sauna Talk. This is a very special episode. Uh, typically, Sauna Talk happens uh, on the sauna bench, and that's what we're doing right now. But uh, untypically, this sauna is taking place in a public space. We're downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota, USA. We're at the Hewing Hotel on the rooftop. And can you guys see the skyline? yeah right there's uh there's plenty of room in this hot room i mean it's a massive hot room and you're going to hear some people coming and going and um we're going to be uh doing an interview today and i'd like to introduce vladimir and vladimir what's your last name von surikov and uh that's not an american name is it no it's actually russian with uh, a little bit of german in there as well but uh, I'm third generation outside of Russia. My uh, grandfather left with the uh, White Army after the revolution, so ended up... Wh what year was that about? 1920. 1920, he left from, from Russia with, uh, the, with the White Army and ended up in Czechoslovakia first and then in Germany. Fantastic. Wow. wow. And you were born in what year? 1970. And born where? Uh, upstate New York, where my father was a visiting professor, and uh, then when he returned to Germany, I was still less than a year old, so I grew up in Germany and then moved to the U.S. in 88. Cool. Well, where in upstate New York? Uh, Plattsburgh. Okay. I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. I don't know yes, if I knew that. It's but uh, much warmer than here, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I'm turning you around just so you can face the audience. This is actually a really special podcast. We're joined uh, on the bench with some, some other uh, folks from Minneapolis here. And uh, the purpose of this uh, sauna talk is to is to open ourselves up to learn a little bit more about the Hewing Hotel and uh, this, this wonderful sauna on the rooftop that uh, is, a, is a great place to engage with, uh, with others, whether they're hotel guests or, in this case, it's an extension of the 612 Sauna Society where uh, JP, who you'll meet um, on microphone in a little bit, uh, will be joining us. Um, and, and our main guest today, uh, and you just heard the quick introduction with Vladimir. And so, Vladimir, how, how, we heard about where you're born. You grew up in Germany for, for a good part of your life. And, and what brought you to Minnesota? Well, in 2014, I came out here um, when I was offered the position of director uh, and president of the Museum of Russian Art here, and I had been working for 15 years prior to, there, to that with Russian cultural collections and um, archival collections and curating exhibitions both in the U.S. and Russia, uh, and had actually also collaborated with the museum here in South Minneapolis 
uh, on their Romanov exhibition in 2013. So in 14, I came out here, and um, we've been doing a lot of uh, fun things there. And anybody who's listening, I invite everybody to come. In fact, I brought guest passes uh, for free admission to everybody who's here tonight. So don't leave without one, and we hope to see you there. Fantastic. Any of you folks uh, been to the Russian Museum in South Minneapolis? 50, what's the address on that? It's um, on the corner of uh, Stevens Avenue and 54th. So it's right off of 35W, the Diamond Lake Road exit. You can't miss it. Very accessible. And you can almost see the downtown skyline. Do you get a lot of folks that fly in uh, to come to Minneapolis for the museum specifically? Uh, it really depends what's going on in terms of our programming. I mean, sometimes we have some really unique things, like last year uh, we had a Fabergé exhibition that it was called Unknown Fabergé New Finds and Rediscoveries, and we represented 17 different collections, most of them not previously exhibited from all over the U.S., both in private hands, which means sitting in bank vaults some, somewhere, or uh, other museums, but uh, which are not necessarily in the, pu in the mm -hmm. public eye, but also from as far away as London, from, the, um, uh, from, from a jeweler, Wardsky's jeweler, and even from Helsinki, Finland, which is very fitting given the sauna, from, from the National Museum of Finland, and from several private collectors there as well. So that brought in people from all over the U.S. because uh, people who collect Fabergé are interested in that, are really passionate about this, and they will very often go through any lengths to see something new, and uh, it was a wonderful exhibition. So for that, people come from all over the place. Uh, what is Fabergé? Well, Fabergé is alongside the name of the last Russian Tsars, the Romanovs, probably one of the most recognizable name that's being associated with uh, pre-revolutionary Russia. It's a, it was a famous jeweler who uh, got became really famous by making um, Easter eggs for the imperial family. Um, so each year, they, 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 a new egg, imperial egg, would be commissioned. But of course, in addition to all of these eggs, there are so many other things that Fabergé made, from everyday jewelry to dishes to samovars, and of course, plenty of decorative, decorative items that are nowadays all over the world in museums and in private collections, but also in Russia, of course. Well, I'm glad you explained that. I thought Fabergé was a kind of cologne. But I stand corrected. And if you folks have any questions for Vladimir, um, just come on in and, and, and join up. I thought being that we're sitting in a sauna, we could dive right into sauna and, and how sauna differs um, from the Russian banya, maybe the commonalities and also the differences. So let's just dive right into that. I mean, we can get back and, and speak a little bit more about your role at the Russian, Russian Museum in town, but I think it's, it's quite exciting to hear your perspective of sauna versus banya, if you want to speak to that. Well, the main thing is that a traditional Russian banya differs by the fact that it introduces, of course, steam, just as JP is doing here, that it is not a dry sauna. And also the temperature is, is different. But I, I found actually through 612 Sauna Society that there are also a lot of similarities or this kind of fusion that you see uh, culturally in the sauna slash banya world. Because really, uh, a Russian sauna, a Russian banya, is not just a place where you can warm up. 
it's many things. I mean, it used to be a place where you bathe, so really important for hygiene. Then it really added the component of uh, a social life and, in many ways, community building. Mm -hmm. uh, because a sauna is, as you know, we say in, in Russian, very democratic. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, nobody's wearing a tie, name tags, um, everybody's entirely equal the minute they walk into a sauna setting. So it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful place to meet people, uh, to discuss all sorts of things from, from uh, current affairs to literature to politics to business very often, but it's, it's, it's really equalizing in, in how people socialize with, with each other. And I've had some of my best experiences in Russia actually happen in saunas. I remember. Uh, can you, yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to ask for an example, and here you go. Well, my younger son, for example, as he was graduating high school and wondering what he should do next, should he apply to college, or um, I had offered him to go and study in Russia to improve his Russian, because even though he's fourth generation uh, outside of Russia, but we uh, speak Russian at home to kind of promote you know, your heritage in terms of uh, language, culture, um, and so on. Yeah. And I had offered him, you know, to take kind of a year off before college and go, go to a Russian university and study. And for him, it was, very, it was very difficult to understand how would I do that? I mean, is there kind of a website where I go and that says, you know, this is what you do if you want to, you know, spend a year in Russia and study? I said, no, no, don't worry. So a couple of months later, I find myself in the Kaluga province. In, in January, and it's about the temperature that is here right now, but well, much Where is south. the Kaluga province? It's not far from Moscow, okay. and uh, uh, actually with, with some very well-known un universities as well, and, and cultural sites, and um, I was in a Russian banya with some, some colleagues from that, that I interact with, uh, culturally, and uh, they asked me, what, what are your kids doing? I said, well, I'd like to send one of them to Russia. So the conversation quickly went to, well, you know, I went to grad school with the, c the current rector of such and such university, which is one of the major ones in, in Moscow, and consequently, my son went to, uh, to this university for two semesters, and even as he arrived, he never had to do as much as fill out a, uh, an application form. And all of this connection uh, happened in the banya. Absolutely, it's all through the banya. And the interesting thing is, of course, that sometimes you may expect too much from the banya because as I presented my son with this letter of acceptance, his question was, Dad, can you do this for me with the American University? And I said, no way. <laughs> Maybe here, I don't know, we have to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're working on that, that kind of yeah. connectivity. But of course, that's, that's, that's really kind of maybe an extreme and uh, extreme anecdote, which happens to be true. But it really also speaks to how, uh, how important the sauna is. But then, I don't know if any of you have seen Eastern Promises. Um, if anybody is studying, uh, studying the meaning of Russian gangster tattoos, then Eastern Promises is a very good uh, movie for that. It's also amazing to hear Viggo Mortensen, who does not speak Russian, but he does so in that movie and do so without an accent. So if you are a linguist, it's also fascinating. And so he's, he's a non-Russian speaking Russian? Yes, he's, he, he plays the role of a Russian gangster in that movie. And how is his Russian? It's uh, without an accent in how, that movie. How, do, how does he do that? Is that why he gets paid the big money? I think he has a very good linguist who trained him for that. 
but there was it was really a great example of the uh, of the art of of the tattoo in in Russia and what what it actually means all of those different tattoos and I remember being in a banya in Moscow that's called Sanduni and I'm wearing this banya hat from there which is a historic place that was built in 1808 and uh, one of my brothers lives in Moscow and we we went there and as we're getting undressed Russian sauna uh, typically involves no clothing, but it's different men uh, men's sauna from from women's sauna usually. So we're dressing down, and I look at my brother and I say to him, "Okay, don't stare across. This guy has two stars on his <laughs> on his shoulders." Of course, he you know stared right away. But uh, so sometimes actually that's also very revealing, and and uh, it it might inspire a little bit respect in that. In that instance, but um, other than that, it's it's really um, a very important part of of Russian society, and you know it's present in literature, it's present in the arts when when it comes to paintings, and many people believe that it can cure everything. Mm. Uh, another one of my friends who uh, has been advised by his cardiologist and and others numerous times to change certain aspects of his lifestyle, uh, including visits to the sauna. I think he was at one point forbidden to attend a banya because of what it might do to him. Was this cardiologist uh, a Russian cardiologist or American? Uh, it was a Russian well-meaning cardiologist, but but the, the example of how difficult it is for a Russian, I think, is well illustrated because when he said to his doctor, what do you mean I can't go to a banya? Never? What about a little bit? <laughs> And the doctor's prescription was, well, a little bit won't hurt. <laughs> That's good. Back to the difference between banya and sauna. As we know, sauna um, is, is the ter more of the Finnish, uh, a nod more to the Finnish style. I think that's what we think of as sauna in North America. Uh, we're in, uh, uh, predominantly uh, viewed as a sauna. Um, can you tell us about the physical differences of where we're sitting now, what we would call a sauna? Uh, is it different than the Russian sauna? How about the physical makeup of banya versus sauna? Well, the public uh, public banyas uh, may have, for example, a higher ceiling, and uh, a lot of attention is given to the actual to the actual source of the heat. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, one person is usually assigned is called the banshik. Uh, to operate that, so making sure that there's enough moisture in the air constantly, making sure that that, that moves entirely and also circulates banshik. That's the equivalent of like the Yes, banshik. He's the person in charge of making sure there's enough water on, on the... Um, uh, on the stove, he makes. He's the one who will use the branches, the vinyak on people. Vinyak, which is of course another thing that the importance of uh, the either oak or birozovy um, vinyak or 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 birch, and sometimes even cedar. Uh, to get cedar, yes, especially in a cold like that, it is, because the needles will really get your circulation going. Have you folks, uh, uh, raise your hands, who's experienced the, the, the Venic treatment? Yeah, a few of us, that's great. 
That's great. And uh, very much in parallel to the Finnish, uh, the, the Finnish uh, uh, sauna experience, they do the same thing. A lot of, a lot of times it's in the spring uh, with the freshly cut um, birch, uh, new yes. growth birch. Absolutely. Similar in Russia. Yes, and also uh, what's very important for many is to keep the water that you have in the bucket yeah. where the veinic usually goes yeah. because that's said to do wonders for your hair. Mm -hmm. People rinse them off, off with, with that. And um, there are different techniques, of course, for the veinic. Uh, and I think mistakenly sometimes people believe you're only kind of hitting yourself with that. But that's only a real small part of it because what you're doing is you're really trapping the heat between the branches and your body. Um, again, you're moving the air with that. Uh, you have all of the odors coming coming out of the leaves. And the which oil into the water that you referenced before. And do you, do in, in Russia, is it okay to pour, um, to dump that water on the rocks? Yes, very often that's that's being used because that provides the, the fragrance that people are also, um, also looking for. Uh, just to interject, so just to catch you guys up, we're in downtown Minneapolis, Hewing Hotel, on the rooftop. We're joined with the a large collection of folks here in the hot room. Say hi to everybody. Any questions? Any questions? I mean, I, this is great dialogue. Um, if you have a question, you know, raise your hand and you can come over to the mic. Um, we're here with Vladimir, who now lives in Minneapolis, Russian, grew up in Germany, well familiar with the with the uh, the Russian tradition of banya. Um, we're talking about how it relates to the Finnish sauna that we all know in this room a little bit more than the Russian style. But I'm going to um, pass the mic here, and JP's got a question. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't I don't want to start anything here, but I've I have a question. I've heard that the Russian word banya is actually older uh, is older than the word sauna. Um, do you know anything about the history of of the word, um, or just about like how old, how old uh, were the first references to banya? Were any historical information that might be interesting to our guests? Well, I think that etymologically, um, I don't have the entire uh, history to bring, but it's it's uh, related to to other words that deal with. Bathing. I mean, obviously, Slavic language is part of the uh, larger group of Indo-European languages. So, is that what it means? Bathing. Banya? Uh, banya is the actual noun that 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 uh, 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 signifies the place that describes the actual place, but um, the the actual root has also different different words that derive from it or or related related words. Um, now I don't know what the uh, uh, how old the word sauna is. Um, I'll be happy to claim that banya is the oldest <laughs> such Good. such description. But I think yeah, we want to create a ruckus. Yeah, yes. we got to get some, some controversy on Glenn's uh, on Glenn's Facebook page. Banya is older than sauna. You heard it well, here. given <laughs> given the unifying aspect of a banya. Uh, or a sauna, I think that it's also important to remember the closeness of uh, the Scandinavian countries and Russia. And uh, at different times, whether it's the Swedes invading Russia or the Russians adding certain territories, you know, of Scandinavia, Finland, and, and, and uh, so there's a lot of inter, um, interaction and intersection culturally. Um, and that goes also for the Banya culture. In many ways, it's extremely similar. And if you want to go 
back to the princes who ruled Russia at first, according to historical uh, narrative and mythology, whether it's true or not, who knows, but it was actually uh, Vangarians, so Viking princes who came from the north to uh, rule the Slavic people who were invited, actually. So there's, there's a lot of intersection, culturally, no doubt, and that, and that intersection, I think, is also um, really probably to blame for the similarities that, that exist. Right on. Uh, introduce yourself. My name's Steve Noonan. And Steve, where are you from? I'm from Orono, just uh, west of Minneapolis. Cool. West yeah. Minneapolis for all of you listening in foreign lands. And, and what's your question? It, what's the optimal temperature in a... Vanya, as opposed to a sauna, are they the same? Is there any kind of, uh, you know, recommended temperature? And do they need to be warmer in Orono as opposed to Minneapolis? <laughs> I think it's the most important thing that I've learned from numerous banyas uh, in in Russia is that uh, the best guidance is what you feel comfortable with, because the the most important goal is to have a good experience, and I learned this because with three kids I wanted to make sure that they can suffer through a real Russian banya. And, uh, but actually it's, it's a question of uh, where you're comfortable with. So, I mean, if you can get the temperature, sometimes people get it up to 180 or 200. Um, and uh, it also depends on what the environment is doing. I mean, if it's very, it's, if it's humid outside, I mean, in the summer you can't do the same thing as in the winter. I mean, and, and if you're on the East Coast in New Jersey, then you can't really use a banya in the summer, I imagine, mm -hmm. as well as here today in the winter. Yeah, and Vladimir, one of the things about banya you mentioned about it's a little bit more of a vertical space. The ceiling can be quite high. And because of that, you could have five, six different tiers yes. of benches, and that allows for the different zones, does it not? Um, of course, you can choose where you, where you want to, to sit. And very often the banchik, after adding moisture and water, will try to distribute uh, distribute the hot air with a sheet or, or by, by circling uh, a bed sheet or uh, a large towel in, in the air. Uh, we, we, we had, a, we had um, somebody do an Ofkus, the German, the German version okay. of that, which maybe we could do here at some. Yeah, the towel circulating air helps equalize the temperature. <laughs> But the beauty of a, of a banya and the banyas that I've been in and larger saunas, call them more vertical, is you, you can sit low, you can sit medium, you can sit high, and that can help um, temper your temperature ranges for your hot room, your, your, your sauna or your banya session. Absolutely, but also, I mean, if you look at public's, uh, public banya spaces, um, there are certain banyas that are famous for different things. Um, for example, in Moscow, there is one banya that's famous for the fact that it has different, uh, let's call them ethnic days. Uh, so somebody knows ahead of time, well, you know, that on which day of the week, which kind of ethnic group comes to the sauna. Mm -hmm to the banya. And what that means is you know exactly how it will be fired. Mm. You know, because each of them will come with their own herbs that they will mix and then use for for the banya. Um, so some people may prefer peppermint, others mm. may prefer eucalyptus, or some uh, you know natural herbs that, that are being collected by them. Uh, and this is something really, really interesting. Another banya 
uh, has has this tradition where before the air is being circulated by a banshtik, people actually lay down on the floor because they know it's going to come down <laughs> so coming. hard and yeah. so hot and it will hit your back. Yeah. Uh, so everybody lies down before he starts circulating that. Right, right on. Um, on. On that score, um, when you mentioned about these different nights and different um, ethnic uh, ethnic nights, yes, is that the right way? Yeah. kind of uh, ethnicity within Russia itself or other other countries. Uh, within within Russia, or let's say the traditional uh, people that have been associated uh, with Russia, because of course Moscow has a very large population of people from the Far East and also from the West who come there to work. And each one of these groups brings their own traditions. So you may have Ukrainians that that bring one one kind of oil with them to add. You may have the Kazakhi population that does it a second way. The Tatars who bring you know a third kind of herb with them for that, uh, and that's of course really neat. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that story up because uh, if you if those folks listening to this podcast, Sauna Talk, can look up an episode if you haven't heard it uh, with Bill Trotter, the general manager for Chicago Sweat Lodge. H- have you been there in Chicago? Uh, no, not yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I've been told it's very close to the traditional Russian banya. It's actually was built by Russians, okay. uh, the, this structure, this, this banya in Chicago. And uh, in speaking with Bill Trotter, um, the same thing has evolved itself uh, in Chicago at the Chicago Sweat Lodge. But interestingly, the net is cast even wider where, ex- example, I don't know what night of the week, but a lot of uh, Mexicans have adopted the Chicago Sweat Lodge as part of their r- routine. And a lot of them got into, a lot of the Mexicans got into the Chicago Sweat Lodge and the Bonnie experience because trying to make weight, a lot of them are boxers and stuff. Yeah. So they've evolved to have their night at Chicago Sweat Lodge. So this kind of fractioning that you're speaking about happens here in the United States as well. Well, that's fascinating to know. I mean, another thing that I think is so crucial uh, about the Russian banya is in many ways the social and communal aspect, where it's always somehow part of people coming together before the banya and then uh, not only coming in to warm themselves up once or twice, but you, it, a banya, a good banya, can take you three hours easily, if yeah. not the entire evening. Generally, how many hot room sessions as part of that three, four hour? About three, yeah. three as a minimum, with the first one warming up, the second one being much, much more serious, and the third, the third time is then for the branches. Mm-hmm. And then another fourth one maybe afterwards. But yeah. it also depends on the weather. Yeah. As today, for example, when uh, the weather is like that, traditionally Russians will either enter a cold pool, mm-hmm. they will roll around in the snow, and it's really the, the most wonderful thing to get the circulation going. It's, no question. Um, so after that, of course, there's usually a little break, and people will drink some herbal teas and engage in conversation. And How about a beer? Well, theoretically... Alcohol uh, is not the best thing during a banya, but certainly afterwards mm-hmm. for disinfication from within and not only from the outside. Yeah. But I don't think it's followed 100% mm-hmm. by everybody mm-hmm. all the time. Right on, right on. Well, you know, it's interesting uh, as, as folks here in North America get more and more into sauna and banya, um, it's, it's, it's fun to try to encourage the cool down as much as the heat up. You talk to nine out of ten people, and when you say sauna uh, or banya, um, those that are unfamiliar think of 
the hot room space. But you and I know there's a lot more to the process. Absolutely. I think that if you if we are using the banya right in weather like today, by the time you're done, you can walk outside exactly the same way that you were inside the banya and just walk around for, I don't know, five, ten minutes and the, and the cold won't even affect you because your body still gives off so much heat. This is like someone talking about a really great pizza and I can start salivating thinking about biting into that pizza because I don't know about you, Vladimir, but right now what you described sounds really good. Should we press pause and do a, do a cool down? I think the cold sounds very good right now. Absolutely. We'll check right back with you folks. We're uh, Sound of Times, downtown Minneapolis, Hewing Hotel. So we're back. Uh, this is Sauna Talk, and we're doing this sauna live, live and direct, and it's happening downtown in Minneapolis. This is JP. Oh, I'm now I'm on mic. I was just uh, I was just saying how wonderful it is to hear from uh, somebody who's not just such an articulate ambassador of uh, of the sauna experience, but also ambassador of a culture that's embraced. Embrace banya or sauna as a as a society for a way to share connectedness, health, and just general general well being. Things that we should be prioritizing as a as a community and as a society. It's beautiful to hear you paint that picture. Very inspiring. So thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Vladimir. We were <clears throat> we did a cool down, and it was interest. It's interesting. Everyone's got a different cool down style, don't we? And uh, I got this weird thing where. When I cool down, I always, I need to jump in a lake or I had to go shower. Because when I cool down, I like cooling down with like water on me, not my sweat. I don't know. And I tell you where that comes from is, is sounding at our cabin with our little, we have two young, had two young boys, they're grown now. But uh, I would always treat every round as my last because I never know if I would like get called and say, hey, you got to put Nate to bed or, you know, Grant needs this or that. So I was always on call. So I always thought that was a, a victory when, when I could jump in the lake and say, okay, no matter what, I'm clean now. I got a sauna in. And if it's over, I can go up to the cabin and deal with the kids. But if not, I can go do another round. So anyway, that was a condition for me just to always uh, – always do that but uh, but in uh, um can you relate to that at all Vladimir? oh absolutely i think that the the cool down period is very important and as i said some some did with water but i think mostly mostly what's important is is really uh, a very significant change in temperature i mean and 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 the more that can change the better but i also like the fact that you mentioned your kids because um in many ways it's uh, sauna is something that's so important for Russians that many have their own small cottages somewhere that they go to on the weekends where the banya, the sauna, is the most important component. And uh, it's something that families do together. And in fact, when I lived in uh, New York before coming here, we had a sauna um, outside. And uh, my daughter, uh, my kids would use it, and my daughter, who is now seven, began using the sauna when she was less than two years old. In, in fact, in fact, some of her 
not the first words, luckily, I think it still was mama, but but some of her first words were, were banya. Yeah. When when she I would I would ask her, you know, are you going to the banya? And she would say, Banya budu, banya budu. So it's what does budu mean? Budu, I will. I'll go to the banya. Oh, basically. I love that. So you know those little plastic uh, uh, wash things you 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 fill them with soap and you put it in the sink they're only like one foot by 14 foot those little square things you get them at target you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah uh our our youngest nate he would sit he as a newborn sit in there and splash around that's how he got into sauna on the floor in the, in the hot room sitting in one of those dish pans well i think you know when when it comes to kids and especially to relationships with between parents and kids, which is always generational. So there, there has to be conflict, especially during a certain age. And I have to say that, that even with my kids who are now in their 20s, uh, when we all were younger and they were in their teens and I was a little younger, and even on, on kind of difficult days between fathers and sons, which sometimes occur, as soon as you go into the sauna, and you go through that, it's, it's really a cleansing process. I mean, it drives out toxins, so it's really good for you medically, but it's also good psychologically. Uh, absolutely. It's well, it's like going on a journey together. You're sharing this experience together, and it's a common bond, as if you, you know, left, left your fight behind. Uh, it's, you could get in a canoe and go paddle, or you could go into the sauna. And you're both sitting kind of entirely exposed, not, I mean, maybe not entirely, but again, you're, nobody's wearing their civvies, nobody is coming in, uh, you know, with a certain job title, or, I mean, there's no kind of hierarchy. It, it's a great equalizing experience right away. Any, any questions from the, the sauna gallery here? Oh, great, got, got some water going. Great, hit, hit the water on the rocks. Please, join us. What's your name? I'm Anne. Um, hello. Um, so I work with someone, and she's originally from some part of Russia. I don't know where. But if I went back to work on Monday, and I asked her if this experience was familiar, do you think 100% it would be familiar, or maybe 50%, or what do you think? Yeah, this experience down at the Hewing Hotel on the rooftop at the sauna here. Well, just I think I think that 95%. Okay. I would say that that it's familiar to her. Okay. Uh, not not maybe nowadays. Maybe not everyone in the from the younger generation may go through that. But I can guarantee they've seen how important it is in the lives of their grandparents or their parents. Um, it's it's really quite quite central, and in many ways it's able to break down down barriers and I talked about also the psychological aspects uh, sometimes in relationships that's so important and I uh, was remembering earlier as we were outside cooling down uh, a very dear friend of mine who uh, uh, he's now deceased a couple of years but he was an extremely gifted painter and um, I tried to convince him I, I wanted to approach him to so I could work with him on on a show and promote his art but he was pretty much leading the life of a hermit somewhere in the Catskills on a 15-acre compound where... Is he American or Russian? Or? No, he was a Finnish Russian from Leningrad who came to the U.S. in 1992 with a lot of his collection. And then Norton Dodge uh, uh, purchased uh, almost all of his paintings. Uh, and a lot of them have ended up at Rutgers University at the Zimmerle Museum. And then uh, he stayed in the States and began painting here. 
but he moved to he moved from New York to the Catskills because he really didn't like people. He was a hermit and he just liked his paintings. He lived he lived to paint. Extremely, extremely gifted, but he as gifted as he was, he had trouble. Um, he had trouble really socializing with people. So he had a compound, as I said, 15 acres. It had two studios, one for his wife, one for himself, their house where they lived in, and a banya, a Russian banya that he built next to a pond 30 feet deep that he dug himself. Um, and uh, so his day would look the following. He would get up 2 o'clock in the morning, take in a banya, and then begin painting and working all day. Um, so it was very difficult to, to get him to talk to me until uh, during one of my uh, visits I uh, was shown the banya and was ex entirely ecstatic and said, I didn't know you had a banya. I mean, is there any way that, that, that we could use it? And immediately uh, his, his eyes lit up and he actually look at, looked at me and said, of course. And uh, it, I, I had to go through several rounds of extremely, extremely hot banya, experiencing uh, very challenging sessions with the venik and the branches, jumping into a very cold pond uh, several times until he finally began talking to me. And he said to me, you know, I'm pretty surprised because the guy from San Francisco who's dating my daughter didn't last 20 minutes. <laughs> and that's when I knew that things would be good. <laughs> uh, and, in, and, and we became very close friends and I was able to organize an exhibition of his works actually here at the museum in Minneapolis and I own several of his paintings. Uh, and he's just an incredible individual because the only place where he would open up to me and talk to me about his artistic process, uh, about what what he was doing with his paintings, it was in the banya. It was the only place where I could get him to talk, and it would be the two of us, nobody else. And then all of a sudden, he would he would begin to answer questions and offer something himself. Did the relationship develop such that you could have uh, close conversations outside of the banya, or would he become cool again outside of uh, the the banya uh, uh, session? It greatly improved outside the banya as well, but very often there were other people then. So the only place that, that seemed to be safe, it was precisely the banya. And I think it's, again, this equalizing and, and something that's almost sacred. You know, the banya as a, as, a, as a safe place, as really a source for, you know, uh, health and de detoxification, healing, coming together, um, and that's a very good example how you know how that how that functions in people's lives as well. Mm, well said, well said. Well, uh, any other questions? Anybody else? If you do, just raise your hand and come on down. Uh, you know, Vladimir, I, I ask uh, all the guests to sound a talk uh, uh, for questions, and I'm going to ask those to you. Uh, prior to that, uh, John, do you have a question? I just wanted to ask about what's going on at the Russian Museum these days and uh, upcoming exhibits. Um, any, yeah, what, what, what's happening over at the Russian Museum because the stuff I've been to there has been phenomenal and want to check out more of it. Yeah, thanks for that question, JP. Well, we have three exhibitions on right now that are 
that will be on display through uh, the beginning of March. One on 19th century sacred art, Russian sacred art. Another is the uh, Vladimir School of Painting. Um, and then a really fun for families and kids Matryoshka or nesting doll exhibition. Uh, but we're very excited about also what's coming up this year. We have an exhibition in March from our permanent collection that will be called Art in Conflict, juxtaposing kind of state-sponsored socialist realist art uh, from the Soviet Union with uh, underground artists and uh, their non-conformist paintings. And then followed in September by an exhibition coming to us from the Kaladze Art Foundation in uh, New Jersey, uh, which will focus on feminist and nonconformist artists as well. So always interesting exhibitions, but uh, I think some of the events are also uh, able to uh, attract people to what we do. Um, so April is, of course, the month when we always do a very fun uh, vodka tasting at the museum that presents not uh, Russian vodka, but local distilleries get to showcase their product and local restaurants kind of um, feeding into the Russian tradition of vodka with what's called zakuska, an appetizer, which is how the Russian tradition of vodka consumption uh, is, is a, uh, of course, works. Uh, always plenty of round tables and uh, concerts, from rock concerts to classical music. So anyone who might be interested to be on our mailing list, uh, please visit our website at tmora.org, timora.org, and sign up. And for everybody who's present today, as I said, I have free guest passes for all, so come on up and visit. Sounds wonderful. And I'll put a link um, to the Russian Museum here in Minneapolis uh, in the show notes to this podcast. Um, so you've traveled quite a bit, Vladimir, around the world, around... Well, uh, yeah, as I said, I grew up in Germany, so uh, Europe was also always kind of my stomping ground. Um, but mostly my, my, my travel, in a, aside from European countries, is of course to uh, Russia. And, and for uh, over a decade, I've been uh, going four to five times a year, uh, most of the time. So it does. I'm, it's my work still takes me there, and it's really an exciting way to interact with your peers. Especially, it's important, I think, nowadays when we find ourselves in a kind of new McCarthy area, where we have to find, you know, the other that has to be demonized, <laughs> and um, you know, the Russians are at fault for everything, and we can really ruin a lot of relationships because during. Uh, immediately after the fall of the Soviet Union, so many relations, relationships have been built between cultural and educational institutions and sports associations. And those really need to be kept up because it's this you know, people to people and cultural diplomacy that um, ultimately is going to have more impact than administrative policies or lack thereof. And on that score, so if you could sauna with anybody, anybody in the world, dead or alive, past or present, uh, who would you choose? Wow, that's a, that's really that's that's really a tall order. I think that um, I would probably uh, like to sauna with the person who originally uh, opened up the Sanduni, Sandunovsky Banya, the Sanduni Banya in Moscow. Um, just because I owe him a debt of gratitude based on how many times I visited that place. In fact, I used to arrive in Moscow and getting on the train there to go into the city from the airport would call my brother uh, who works there and ask him, 
when he has time to go and visit some kind of tourist attraction. And the past year when I'm on the train and I, and I call him from the train, he says to me, you know what happened to you? You used to call me about the important things in life. Now your first call to me is, when are we going to the banya? <laughs> well, it's important. So what would you like to ask the founder of this banya and ask it in Russian and then translate it for us? What would be a question? I would ask him, что вас вдохновило, какие у вас были цели, и довольны ли вы результатом? I would ask him, what inspired you? What were your objectives and goals? And are you satisfied with the result? Mm, Vladimir, if you could have a mobile sauna and bring it anywhere, anywhere in the world, and have a sauna, uh, what spot comes to mind for you? Uh, my backyard or my driveway to begin with, uh, but I think that that question uh, is in many ways answered by probably speaking to you and to JP because I'm really thrilled at what you guys been doing here. In fact, I felt like a hermit here before I found 612 Sauna Society. I could not believe that Minneapolis did not have something like that. And the first time I went to Como, there was uh, Lake Como, li Little Box uh, Sauna, then of course Surly Brewery last year, and I think that's uh, the more really fun spaces that can be found like this, and I very much like the intersection of Banya with something in addition, whether it's the social, the cultural, or some other aspect. Um, I think this is really wonderful to introduce the sauna culture, but also treat and use the sauna the way that it's really also intended, that it's really part of something much greater, um, and it, it works very well integrated into the rest of our lives. It's not something separate. Knowing sauna and banya as you do, uh, there are, you know, for every one of us, you know, there's countless people that uh, have no exposure to sauna or banya. They may know it a little bit from a health club or a hotel. Um, what do you think is the most, what is most is misunderstood about sauna and banya to the average person, would you say? Well, I think in many ways we are a very prudent society. Uh, and very often uh, the misconception might be that there's something going on. Somebody once, when I invited him to the sauna, said, well, I'm not interested in taking showers with other people. Uh, so I think I think that that really aspect that you know it's detoxification, it's a social aspect. In many ways, therefore, it's even a spiritual aspect. So it's entirely different, and it's also I think what's important is just getting the word out. I think in many ways, if those of us who enjoy that approach it. Uh, from the point of view uh, of development or fundraising, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. That you know, you can try yourself to find a hundred people to get interested, or you can get ten people who will speak to ten people, ten of their friends, and can be can be ambassadors of uh, the role that that sauna plays in their lives. Last question for you, Vladimir, is uh, <clears throat> when you think about your sauna session, your banya session from when you wake up in the morning and you know you're going to sauna, you're going to banya, uh, what is your favorite part of, of the entire uh, process? The favorite part is really that I know that no matter what's going on, no matter what stress I have or what challenges I face, I know that once I get to the sauna, when I leave, I'm going to feel much better 
and uh, it's this cleansing, it's the detoxification, not only physically, but also psychologically. And that's really wonderful that, you know, I know I'm going to have a long day or so many things that will be thrown at me. But, you know, by the time I get there, I know I'll feel much better. Right. And maybe I, I didn't ask. That's a great answer. My question was a little different in that, like, you think about the process itself, the going to Banya, the stepping in for round one, the water on the rocks, the cool down after round one, all of these little sequences and processes. Is there one that stands out through the whole process? Absolutely. I would say it's the branches, the vineyard, and it's the fluctuation of temperatures, really the big, the big difference. Going from the hot into the cold, um, it's not so much for me about, you know, how long can I stand outside or sit inside. It's about getting, getting the difference in the temperatures and being able to, to really experiencing, experiencing that through my body. I think that and also the vineyard are the most enjoyable. Nice. So if we were to summarize the two things, the Venic experience uh, and then the extreme, yes. whether it's the hot of the hot and the cool of the cool. Uh, really the process between the extremes. Yeah. When you go out of the hot into the extreme cool and back from the extreme cool yeah. into the hot. I mean, there's something that happens inside your body that's just so satisfying. Right on, right on. Vladimir, I want to thank you for joining on Sound of Talk on this. What's the temp outside, folks? We're, we're below zero. We're minus one, and we're. It's like time to go out. Yeah, and we're enjoying ourselves. We're going to get the steam billowing at the end of this round. And uh, Vladimir, I want to thank you for joining on Sound of Talk. Thank you. 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 So this is the overtime edition. Uh, I want to introduce. Uh, uh, we, we heard we heard from Vladimir, and I want to have a quick chat with JP. And uh, how about you, Sylvia? We got We want to hear a story from you if if you're game. Would you like to say hello? Hi, I'm Sylvia, and just wanted to add that I grew up with Banya experience too. What's your home country, Sylvia? My, I grew up in Bulgaria, and my hometown had has a uh, Banya, very similar to what Vladimir was describing, a taller building, public Banya, large space. For it was About how many people could fit in uh, there comfortably? Probably at least 30 or 40. 40 or something. How about the banyas in Russia? How, how many people? Yeah, 30 to 40. 30 or 40? But, but about 40 sounds about right. Especially yeah, because 40 of people. Different levels. So the, the space, is it like twice this big as this room? Or three, like in terms of how many, how big of a sauna do you need to fit 30 people in? So the space where people actually sit would probably be maybe three times this size, but the actual sauna is, is usually much larger because you have, as you walk through the doors into the sauna, that's usually where you have the large stove. And sometimes it's actually kind of, you know, above above ground, whether I mean, it might be gas driven, and this is where you open, you open the, uh, uh, the door to throw water on there. And, and people actually, I mean, go up the steps 
to enter the space where they sit down. So they are actually sitting where all of the steam goes directly. And I imagine it's the same in Bulgaria, right? It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah in Turkey too. It's very common in these neck of the woods. <laughs> yeah. So I want to introduce uh, <coughs> this, this gentleman. He's been on Sound of Talk, a couple different podcasts. If you listen to the podcast about the 612 Sound of Society Steering Committee, uh, that committee was put together by this gentleman I'm going to introduce you to right here. And um, I could go on and on in speaking about John, especially as it relates to this town, 612, the area code for Minneapolis, Minnesota. What he has done uh, in, a, in short order, in a short amount of time, is remarkable about building a community, a real um, conscious community, and not just people, but infrastructure. We have this kick-ass, authentic, mobile sauna that is uh, being deployed right now at one of the larger, more awesome breweries in town. Um, and uh, I, I just, I could go on and on with John, but I want to introduce John, and I want uh, to have him tell you a little bit about where we're sitting and what this place means. So, uh, your full name? Um, John Peterson. Thanks, Glenn. And thanks for facilitating this awesome conversation with Vladimir. Vladimir, thank you so much for coming and, and being a representative of the museum and of, of, a, of a true sauna society, Russian, Russian banya culture. Um, very inspiring and, and very much what what the hewing is a part of here in Minneapolis, um, the the sauna revival. It's been called the urban sauna revival. Um, many different sauna projects popping up over the last few years from um, from the project that Glenn mentioned, the 612 Sauna Society Cooperative, uh, nation's first sauna co-op, which started right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, Glenn built uh, the that sauna for us, which is, as Glenn said, right now burning over at uh, Burning Hot, and there's happy people over at Surly Brewing enjoying <coughs> community-powered sauna Minus experience. Minus one degree Fahrenheit right now, by the way. Minus one. Can can you believe that that's uh, that that's happening right now? A year, thirteen months ago, we were we were freezing, freezing our butts off building it, yeah. and uh, here it is a year later, and, and people are enjoying it, and more people are enjoying sauna now um, than ever sitting before. Sitting right now, John. Uh, and yes, and this brings us to, to the hewing, which uh, built this built a beautiful rooftop sauna. <laughs> um, and this whole thing started. Uh, Tim Tim Dixon, who was um, involved in getting this 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 hewing hotel built, and he came over to the firehouse, which is a sauna that I built in my backyard a number of years ago. He came over, and uh, we had a just a wonderful sauna together. And he had the idea of really making sauna a, a iconic feature of the hewing hotel, it being the uh, great northern tradition of wellness and togetherness and good times that it is that it would just be a wonderful thing to incorporate into their hotel which is which is very much about celebrating um, the local traditions and really you know celebrating it in, a, in in taking it to the next level which they definitely have here with the rooftop sauna experience it's it's almost the cherry on top literally it, and it's it's a beautiful sauna for the listeners here uh, this was designed by um, uh, Michael Gordon and uh, and and his his crew of architects and they just did a, a beautiful job um, with the the sauna and the way it incorporates into the different cool down zones. So there's a lot of a lot of potential here for this to be to, to be really a literally the hot spot in Minneapolis uh, for a sauna. So uh, I'm working with them um, to just kind of help do some programming like tonight to kind of help incorporate 
um, this beautiful amenity into the local sauna culture. And it's really awesome that, that the Hewing really is embracing wanting to not just do something, you know, cool and uh, wonderful, um, you know, for their members, but to kind of connect their, their membership with what's, what's going on locally with these traditions that like sauna and, and their, um, their food program. They're really reaching out to the community, bringing the best of what's happening locally and, and sharing it with their guests. So we're, we're really happy to be here and uh, we're going to be doing some more programs like this to celebrate what's happening locally and also internationally. We did an Afka session here last time, which is a German steam treatment. And uh, this beautiful sauna is a nice, spacious, big room is a perfect place for us to, um, for us to share some, uh, some more treatments like that. And we're going to be doing uh, about two programs programs a month here so members and uh, guests will be able to come down um, for that over the next uh, year or so. So this is a challenge for all of you listening to Sauna Talk whether you're in Fargo, Chicago, New York, London, anywhere in the world Minneapolis, Minnesota is quickly becoming a real mecca for the authentic sauna and banya experience and I'm getting a nod here from Vladimir to the positive uh, we're making great strides so my challenge to anybody listening if you have something that you'd like to contribute as a potential guest speaker uh, something to the programming that John Peterson is responsible for reach out to us uh, shoot me an email through sauna times or John Peterson John Peterson through the 612 sauna society uh, what's the best kind of way to folks to reach you John uh, this program um, uh, is under uh, my project called sauna society builders which is building um, the infrastructure um, we're building building saunas and doing programming around town um, so best place to reach me is John at sauna society builders.com and uh, bring your money uh, bring your resources, bring your um, health and wellness studies. Uh, we welcome it all, especially the money, right, John? <laughs> well, uh, sure, but <laughs> but mostly just show up and mostly just show up and have a good time. We've been able to do a lot with a little, and now with support like um, partners like the Hewing, we're able to do a lot more. So. Um, Glenn, thank you for facilitating this conversation and, and for uh, you've done a great job highlighting other people tonight. And I just want to highlight you, um, somebody who's been been waving the, the sauna flag here in Minneapolis long before um, the rest of us for, for, for many decades now. So thanks for keeping the keeping the fire stoked. And it's just it's got to be fun to see it really manifesting in all these exciting new new programs. No. Well, listen, yeah, cheers, cheers. You know, it, 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 what John taught me is it takes a community. I mean, my thing with sauna was, was like build it in the backyard and then, and then I invite whoever I want and whoever gets it, and then I don't have to clean up anybody's towels or listen to their stories if I don't want to hear them. But John's taken this whole thing to a much higher level, uh, and, you know, the word that comes to mind is community. Uh, involvement, um, engagement. I mean, it's just, this is the great thing for me. I am doing this, you know, uh, uh, with love. And, you know, John's doing this out of like, like a calling and a passion. So I can, I can live it vicariously. I can show up and go home, but you're the guy cleaning up the towels at the end. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're in it and we're enjoying it. So.